Well, as we move to the book of 2 Peter, we're reminded that every pastor is in the reminding business. And Peter was no exception. He had been challenged by the Lord Jesus Christ to shepherd his people. And that's what Peter was doing as he writes 2 Peter. He's giving us friendly reminders. Man, we all need them. Today we have technology. It used to be you'd use a sticky note to remind yourself of something. Now you can just speak a reminder into your phone. But how we need spiritual reminders to remember who we are, what kingdom we represent, and who it is that we serve. We'll look at that in more depth in 2 Peter chapter 1 today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Here's the theme verse, 2 Peter 3.18. The very last verse of the letter says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, if you look at 2 Peter 3.1, you'll notice that this is now, beloved, 2 Peter 3.1, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So if you all take a break from your Bible just for a second, look up at the screen. The title of the first message that we have from 2 Peter is Friendly Reminders. Now, Uh, I am not the most organized individual in the world. Uh, If you look at my desk, there are some times that my desk has stacks of paper. I know some of you, when you have been confronted with such decisions and uh, desks and the like, call them organized stacks. How many of you have organized stacks on your desk? (laughs) Praise the Lord, I'm not alone. And then there's some people in the office that will come to me eventually when Creatures are growing out of the stacks, and there's weird-looking, you know, things that you can't even tell what they are. They may be from other planets. And they say, Pastor Michael, would you like me to clean up that stack of paper? That's when I know I'm in trouble, right? All right, I, I, better, I better do that spring cleaning. I better clean up my desk and try to get organized, right? And so uh, I do a little bit of that, and I'll cut the stack down by about three-quarters, and then eventually the, it'll just start stacking up. There's something in me. I don't know if it's a bit of a pack rat mentality, but I get papers and I just, I just put them on top of the pile. And I, th- I say something like this. I'll, I'll probably look at that later. <laughs> I don't need to look at it later. Mo- most of it I don't need to look at later. So then when I go through the stack, I just start throwing things away. <laughs> and They could be important documents. I have no idea. I just start shredding stuff. But anyway, but I do have people who are in my life who are good at giving me friendly reminders often with sticky notes. Anybody got a loved one who likes to put sticky notes on your forehead just so you don't forget anything? That's kind of the idea here. Peter was a reminder. Mothers are good reminders. Some bosses are good reminders. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Did you do this? Did you do that? Spouses can be good reminders. In fact, if you are disorganized, it's really good if you marry an org. Okay, an org is an organized person. Because if a disorg marries an org, you've got something good. Because the organizer can help the disorganized one, and the disorganized one tends to be a little bit more spontaneous. 
So the organized one, when the disorganized one says, let's just go do this, they say, but have you thought of this and this and this and this and this? No, let's just go. All right, so there's compromise in there somewhere. So Peter is writing <laughs> with that introduction. Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1, he opens the letter with Simon Peter, Second Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Simon Peter is one of the grand characters of the New Testament. He heads every list of the apostles. Every time you see, and the apostles were these folks, he's at the head of every list. He seems to be the spokesman for the apostles. He's in the inner circle of the apostles. Whenever Jesus took just a smaller group, it was usually Peter, James, and John. So he was part of the inner circle. And he is one of the grand characters of the Bible because he has a very relatable personality. He sometimes spoke out of turn. Some people have accused him of having hoof and mouth disease or whatever that is. Uh, sometimes he would say things in a moment when it seemed like he didn't know what to say, so he just said something, but then maybe what he said really was worthy of saying. <laughs> uh, he was the one, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter gave that great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus commends him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my father who is in heaven. And then Jesus tells him about giving him the keys. It's interesting, when you look at Peter's great confession in Matthew 16 and the keys that were given to Peter, and by virtue of giving to Peter all of the apostles, it was Peter who opened the door. He was the one that preached in Jerusalem when 3,000 people came to the Lord on the Feast of Pentecost. He was the one that went to Samaria to open the door to the Samaritans after, uh, I think it was Philip that went down there. And then he was the one that went into the house of Cornelius and open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter is a relatable figure in the sense that he also had a moment. You might remember Jesus, they had fished all night, and Jesus said, uh, put, put uh, out the net to the other side of the boat for a catch, and Peter said, you know, we've toiled all night, but at your bidding, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And there was such a great catch. This is in Luke 5, around 8, 9, or 10, right in there. Um, Peter was so overwhelmed by what had occurred, and he was an expert fisherman. And by the way, the fact that Peter had a large house um, that is actually uh, one spot that they think may be Peter's house in Capernaum means he was successful. So that means he was a good fisherman. He wasn't just, you know, barely getting by. But he bowed to the Lord at your bidding. I'll put out the nets for a catch. A huge catch came in. And do you remember Peter dropped before the Lord and said, depart from me, O Lord, I am what? I am a sinful man. You don't want to be around somebody like me. Peter seemed to have the heights of, you know, the high of uh, walking on the water. Nobody else did that. He was brave at times. He took out the sword and tried to protect Jesus in the garden. And then there were other times when he was overly confident and he said, though all forsake you, I will never and then Jesus had to confront him and say, this very night, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And Peter, after the third denial of the Lord, went out and wept bitterly. But it was Peter who was baptized with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and then became a lion of the faith. And the author of the letter, though this has been one of the more disputed New Testament books as it relates to authorship, 
Uh, I don't think there's any question that it was written by the authentic Simon Peter. And the date that most scholars give is around A.D. 66. There's an allowance here for between A.D. 66 to 68. Tradition says that Peter died in Rome at the hands of Caesar Nero. Nero died in 68 A.D., two years before Jerusalem fell. And so Peter died sometime before the death of Nero because Nero's the one that executed Peter. So Peter is at the end of his life. If you think about the fact that Jesus is doing his ministry in sometime in the late 20s to 30s A.D., let's just say for the sake of our discussion that Jesus died in 32 A.D., and it's now 66 A.D., and Peter was probably just a guess, but he may have been in his 30s or 40s when he was ministering with Jesus. He's an older guy. He's fought the good fight, and he's awaiting execution. In fact, he mentions this when he says in verse 14 of chapter 1, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, 114, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. There's an interesting prophecy that was given in the book of John, and Peter was told, he had asked the question about John. There appeared, appeared to be some sort of uh, talk that John might live forever or something like that. And, you know, Peter said, what about this man? And Jesus confronted him and said, you follow me. But Jesus said these words, one day you're going to go where you don't want to go and you're going to stretch out your hands. And this was said to indicate the type of death that Peter would die. And some of you are familiar with the fact that there is a tradition that says that Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. He felt unworthy to die in the same fashion. Don't know for sure if that tradition is accurate, but it is one stream of tradition that says that's how G, uh, excuse me, Peter died. So he's an older man at this point. He uh, is awaiting his death. Some people believe that he wrote this in Rome, awaiting execution. So, of course, the content is going to be extremely important, like the whole Bible is. And his main thrust in the letter is to expose false teaching, whereas 1 Peter is given to encourage a suffering church. 2 Peter is written to exhort a church facing false doctrine. Example, 2 Peter 2.1 says, but false prophets, 2.1, also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, these false teachers will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Uh, Second Peter has been compared because there is some similar content to the book of Jude. And uh, it would appear that Peter wrote this before Jude wrote his letter. But there is very similar content and as I step back from examining the New Testament and having taught, I think, just about every New Testament book, and some of them on uh, many occasions or several occasions, it always is, I don't know if the word staggering is correct, 
It, it is always insightful for me to see how many of the New Testament letters were written specifically to expose false teaching. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. I don't know if the word staggering is correct. It, it is always insightful for me to see how many of the New Testament letters were written specifically to expose false teaching and false teachers and to protect the church against it. In fact, I will tell you, of the 27 New Testament books, you take the four Gospels, you got the book of Acts, just about every New Testament letter has some stream of content to warn the church about false teaching, to expose it and to prepare the church to deal with it, to have discernment, to bring the truth to them and then compare it, of course, to that which is false. The dangerous thing that was going on, uh, as Peter will mention in verse 16 of chapter 3, as we do just a little bit more introduction, notice Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter is talking about Paul's letters, 2 Peter 3.16, and he says, as also in all his letters, Paul's letters, 3.16, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of the, what? Scriptures to their own destruction. You see, folks, heresy is not just about some new idea. Let me park here for a second and tell you that the main problem, false teaching heresy that's being addressed in Second Peter is probably something called antinomianism. Big word, anti means no Nomianism, the Greek word for law is namas. Nomianism is law. So there was a group of teachers in the first century, and this kind of bloomed in the second century under the heading of Gnosticism. And what one arm of the Gnostics taught was antinomianism, no law. Here's what it simply means. They, they taught it doesn't matter what you do with your body, what you do morally speaking, with your sexual ethics, dot, 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 because all matter is evil anyway, and all only your spirit is good, so whatever you do with your body doesn't really matter because only the spirit matters, so you can send it up, dot, dot, dot. You can do whatever you want, and you're still going to be fine. And Peter says, wrong. Paul says, wrong. Jesus says, wrong. <laughs> Who are you going to believe? I know it was a popular teaching because to know that I can get into heaven and do whatever I want sounds pretty appealing to the flesh. 
but it's just not the biblical teaching. And this appears to be what Peter is exposing. In fact, if you look at verse 16 of chapter 3, there were people that were taking Scripture, but they were distorting it or twisting it to what? Their own destruction. More heresy is preached with an open Bible than you can shake a stick at. It's not just if someone is, has a Bible. It's if someone is properly interpreting and preaching the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about someone who is just, you know, kind of trying to shape their doctrine on some peripheral issues. I'm talking about someone who starts denying the deity of Christ, someone who starts denying the Trinity, someone who starts denying salvation by grace. You get what I'm saying? They can take scripture, but if they twist the scripture, they do so to their own destruction and often take others with them. They, they can shipwreck people's faith. So this is a group, I know you guys are a discerning group, and we need to be a discerning group of believers to test what we're hearing and see whether it's so. So the main theme, if you're taking notes, author Simon Peter theme, exposing false teaching, teachers and teaching, and how to defend ourselves against it, the date around A.D. 66 to 68, Peter's an old man awaiting his death, and he is showing believers how to truly interpret the scriptures. And uh, in fact, in verses 16 through 21, and we'll see this in a message coming up, he's going to talk about an experience he had at the Mount of Transfiguration and how there's more, a more sure word of prophecy. That is, even though he saw the transfigured Christ, the scripture is the more sure word. So we always have to go back to the Bible to test things and make sure that we understand what's going on because there are such things as doctrines of demons and false teachers. John Flevel, who's quoted in Warren Wearsby, says, by entertain, entertaining of strange persons, men sometimes entertained angels unawares, but by entertaining of strange doctrines, many have entertained devils unawares. If you look at some of the stories of the accounts of uh, cults or world religions that are teaching a lie, they have their beginnings with some sort of angelic appearance, some sort of angel coming to this leader saying, this is the doctrine, or I'll show you where you can find the plates, and if you just put on these glasses, you'll be able to, you know, and, and on and on it goes. And so there is such a thing as another Jesus, 2 Corinthians eleven three 3 and 4, another gospel, another spirit. In Galatians 1, if you flip over there just for a second, Galatians 1, the Apostle Paul, with some similar concerns, the, the heresy or the false teaching is different here. It's probably what's called the Judaizing heresy, more of a legalist instead of a no law. These are more, everything's about the law. Galatians 1.6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Galatians 1.6, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort, remember twisting the scriptures, they want to distort the gospel of Christ. And let me pause for a second. Some of you may be thinking, okay, What's the big deal about this doctrinal stuff? Well, here's the big deal. If you got the wrong gospel and the wrong Jesus, you're wrong enough to lose your soul. Is that a big enough deal for you? 
You have to have the right Jesus or he can't save you. There's a lot of guys in Mexico named Jesus. <laughs> we may say it, Jesus, right? But they can't save your soul. Jesus was a very common name in the first century. You have to have the right Jesus. You have to have the right gospel. Or you can be wrong enough to lose your soul. So Paul, even in this early date of Galatians, says there's people who are distorting the gospel. And then notice what he says, Galatians 1.8. Even though we, including Paul, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which I have, we have preached to you, let him be a curse. Greek word, anathema. Let him be under the curse of God. And just in case we missed it, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you have received, let him be anathema. And then keep reading. For I, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Look, sometimes it is not popular to say such things and draw the lines so clearly, but they need to be drawn because they are biblical lines. We need to understand what the Bible teaches. The, the God of the Bible has all the grace that we could ever imagine for us, but we need to have the right God and, of course, the right Savior. And so Micah 3.9 says, Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight. There's some people who just twist and twist and twist. And we need to pay attention. So Simon Peter opening the letter, 2 Peter 1.1. His name in Hebrew is Simeon. Simeon means to hear. So Peter would be a good guy for us to listen to because sometimes he'd always, he didn't always hear very well. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus would often say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many sermons did Peter hear? How many miracles did he see? How many incredible things did he experience? He even walked on water. But did he always hear really well? <laughs> no. So maybe that's why he became a good reminder, because he learned some hard lessons. His name in Hebrew, Simeon, he was renamed Petros, Peter. That's the name that Jesus gave to him, which means rock or a little stone. He describes himself as a bondservant, a doulos, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Bondservant, the Hebrew form is an eved. They literally used to take the voluntary slave, and if you didn't want to leave your master's home after seven years, this is in Deuteronomy and I think uh, Exodus, you could agree that you would become a voluntary slave for life, and they would have a ceremony, and the ceremony would be taking something like an ice pick or an awl, They'd put you against the door, and they would put the awl through your ear. And the awl would go into the doorway. At the doorway of a home is where covenants were made. In fact, they, when, you, when you have the idea of a uh, groom carrying his bride over the threshold, that's the idea of covenant. So when the eved, or the doulas, got the ear pierced, here's the significance. A covenant's made at the, at the threshold of a home. The all goes through the ear. The ear signifies hearing. I will always be listening for what my master tells me. And it literally means one who is attached to the house so that 
whatever my master or the master of the house tells me to do, I will do. I will be forever attached to this house with my ear open to what he has to say to me. I will not have a list of things that I do not do. Dishes, mow the lawn, pull weeds. Everybody with me? No, whatever he says, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you say you're my doulos? Why do you say you're my eved? Why do you say you're my bondservant and you don't do what I say? Don't tell me you don't do the dishes. If I tell you to do something, do it. Or don't call yourself my servant. Don't call me Lord. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? And many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And Jesus will say, I Never, not I knew you once and now I don't know you anymore. This is Matthew 7, I think it's 23, right in there. I never knew you. You don't want to hear that. So Peter was an apostolos, verse 1, of Jesus Christ. An apostle just simply means a sent one, but he was one of the 12. He heads every list, as I mentioned. He writes to those, verse 1, who have received um, a faith, or you could say the faith, because I think this is the Christian faith here, of the same kind as ours, the true faith in Christ, by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, just if you look at the end of verse one, this is a strong deity verse. I think it's even stronger in the Greek. Jesus is called our God and Savior. So it's our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, everybody with me? 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 is a deity verse. You could write in the margin, if you are taking notes or you write in your Bible, Titus 2.13. We are awaiting the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. So there are uh, several verses in the Bible that are deity verses uh, that clearly show that Jesus is God outside of the Gospels, like the Gospel of John. This is one of them. Jesus is called our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he is. He's God the Son. And the righteousness in verse 1 is probably the righteousness that comes to us by faith. We get what's called an imputed righteousness. The moment that you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and credits it to your account when you place faith in Christ. Salvation is a gift, and what you get is forgiveness of sins, but more than that, you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to your account by faith. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I wanna tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. 
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.